Hello and welcome to episode 139 of Together BHA. Uh, I am, for the foreseeable, hopefully five ever, uh, joined we are by Adam. Hi there, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad, thank you. How are you? Oh, yeah, the world's ended as of yesterday. We lost, <laughs> we lost a game. So apart from that, I'm doing fantastic. Awesome. And of course, Craig as well. How's it going, Craig? Yeah, good afternoon. Um, yeah, all good. All good. Uh, ready to, to jump into what should be a, a lot of talk around yesterday and also Tuesday. Mm. Yeah, th- yes, yes, there is a lot to chat about. Let's let's save the worst for last, I suppose, with Everton um, and start off with a couple of things that happened in the week. Obviously, the big the big cup game, the giant glamour tie uh, away at Cardiff. Um, I didn't get to watch any of it. I don't believe you to watch much of it either. I watched the, like, the long highlights that were yeah. posted, but I couldn't quite bring myself to watch the replay that Cardiff posted the full 90 minutes. Um, either one of you, in your own time, uh, what did you think? I thought the lineup was pretty good. I think that's what we needed to do. Like, we we posted a very youthful lineup, 11 changes, and we won the game. For me, I was pretty happy with it. But what were your uh, what were your thoughts? Yes, I mean, I wouldn't want to subject many people to watching 90 minutes of Cardiff run coverage of that game. But at the same time, it's what we discussed last time, right? It's, as in this this cup is, is a sort of a nice to have um, if we continue to, to go down it, but let's not do it at the cost of, of tiring out the best players that we have, knowing that we're limited in depth in some areas. So seeing that lineup that came out where we kind of balanced out with a lot of youth, incredibly young squad, I think the average age was something ridiculous, wasn't it? In the very low twenties, plus then giving some time to our players that maybe haven't grown accustomed to, um, I would say English, but given the Thai British football up until this point, um, and it was great. We got the victory, and then we go on and we get to to spank another Welsh side uh, in in the next tie. So I thought it was any everything you could ask for. Completely rotated team got the victory. Good to go. Yeah, full on. I think in terms of just, I think as we said last week, it's exactly what we expected. Is exactly what we wanted. Um, and then you know, like you said, it was a nice to have. If it didn't go well, then you know, onwards and upwards. But uh, also good to have. Moda and Zakiri both on the score sheet for the first time as well. Um, Zakiri's yeah. uh, working hard, like does a lot for the team, doesn't really get his his uh, just rewards. So it was good to see him on the on the sheet and Moda as well getting his first goal. So, you know, like you said, we're mixing it up with the the Roberts and, and the Caicedo and seeing those guys also there. But giving Alzate, Moda, Zakiri that sort of time to, to shine against maybe a lesser side, um, knowing that they can do it and get some confidence as well. It seemed like the perfect Tuesday evening, to be honest. Seemed also to be along those same lines, just as perfect for Enoch Mwepu, um, yeah. one of the shining lights of that game. And, you know, some players we see come in and it takes them quite a long time to adapt to Alexis McAllister being one of them, right? I feel like he's taken almost a full calendar year to cut with the, with the program. It seems that even just after one game, Mwepu looks like he's comfortable at least a level level below. Um he bossed that game from what I can gather. Uh, and the assist to Moda for the opening goal was, was excellent. Um, he took a knock, but he was on the bench for this game. So I'm assuming it wasn't too serious or anything like that. Um, Swansea away next. I'm assu- for me, same again, put out, put out a, a different 11, let those same players keep playing. And yep. like you said, the, the age thing, I think if you took Jason Steele out 
of the equation. Uh, I think it was 20.6 or something was the average age of that yeah, team. Crazy. Uh, the 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 Mwepu pass was, I mean, just a perfect ball. Uh, my the my only hesitancy there before crowning him as our greatest signing ever is the fact that <laughs> if you watch that a couple of times, God, the Cardiff players just gave him acres of space. They just kept backing off and off, and you just, I mean, the computer's gonna gonna calculate if you give him that much time, which he did. But the other goal was nice, right? As in, we had a combination of not only. Um, Zakiri scoring a pretty well-placed finish after a lot of hard work seemingly in that game from him, but also Casado um, had a nice little run to set that up. So like I said, it's, it, it was nice to see all those players that were kind of a slightly bubbling away beneath the surface, uh, get some just rewards. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I think just in terms of the next round as well, um, I think we should see exactly the same. Um, you again, do that, do that rotation, you know, go go to Swansea. Obviously, it'll be nice for Potter to see some friendly faces and that. But I would absolutely expect and probably want to see the same team and just and just keep going with this and see how far they can get. Um, whilst the main focus is on the league, um, but it'll be a, it'll be a good game. What is that? That's week commencing twentieth of September, I think it is. So uh, a few weeks away yet. Um, and again, we'll we'll get onto transfer talk in terms of who was in that team that now won't be. But it, it, in terms of what we're going to see from that eleven and keeping it at that 20.5 age range, um, that that would be probably the best course of action. You don't think Graham will get uh, a little bit emotional in there, try and, try and get one back on Swansea, given it is his old hunting ground, his old stomping ground? I mean, he, well, he, he left Swansea, didn't he? I think it's, yeah. it's more Swansea's going to try and attack us and, and get get their own back. So I think, you know, it, you, you do forget that he was only there for a year. So just moved straight from Osterson, spent 12 months there and then moved on. Um, so I, I can't imagine there's too much loyalty there, but some friendly faces, sure. Well, yeah. maybe my prediction is Dan James scores for us against Swansea in that game as we sign Ooh. him on loan. There might be uh, just, just there wait. Might be some very upset Swansea fans. Him <laughs> 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 with the old double trouble. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think that's about it for covering that for covering that game. The, the coverage wasn't superb. The, the team was a backup eleven. We got the job done. So I think I think we're good to move on. If you two are, um, we talked about it a very little bit in the midweek uh, on the WhatsApp chat, but. Let's just talk about it a little bit now. Uh, it was the Premier League news that affects us as much as everybody that they are trying to put the hammer down on any players traveling to red listed countries. Uh, for us, um, that would include uh, Alexis McAllister for sure, because Argentina is currently a red listed nation. Uh, Bissouma possibly. Um, because he's also, I think that they would be traveling to a red listed nation, even though Mali isn't. Um, and I think there's one or two others in there that might be affected by it. Caicedo as well, I think. Um, Salah has been called up by the Egyptian national squad. They they posted that the other day. He is listed in their squad and Liverpool and the Premier League are saying they're not allowed to go. This is going to run on and on, and we've only got a couple of days to wrap it up. What do you What do you guys make of this decision by the Premier League? Um, I mean, I think we're already seeing some backlash from it from some of the clubs and players already that are seemingly trying to force their way and are just going to travel regardless of that guidance. So I think I'm I'm personally more interested in what the repercussions will be for players stepping out of line as opposed to the actual rules that get put into place. Um, as a whole, that may then prove to be interesting. 
Um, I mean, we've already seen some of the players like Salah when when uh, we, in last year when didn't he didn't he like go to his brother's wedding in Egypt at the height of of COVID and and then got COVID and was out for so clearly there is there is already a precedent that has been set by some of the players where they will just do what they want. Um, so we'll see how it works out. I mean, my ideal hope personally and selfishly is that we end up playing one of these teams where another player has stepped and, and they don't get to face us, which will be nice. Um, I think we're blessed and cursed in the same way in the sense that obviously we don't have every single player being uh, subverted to, to this in some ways. So we don't have to worry too much about 11 players stepping out of line at worst. We have a couple. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really the bit there, isn't it? Like you said, it's, it's the consequences of um, not abiding by those, those regulations or that ask in terms of, you know, I think it's the right call. I think, you know, given previous, you know, incidents like the Salah one with, with going to the wedding and stuff like that, you know, there are, there are certain, bits and pieces there where, you know, there is going to be some fallout from it. But I, th- I think it's the right call. Um, it's just, yeah, the, the reaction of the players. Um, we saw Alexis McAllister talk quite openly about being allowed to go to the Olympics and how it meant so much to him, you know, in terms of someone that's 21 years old and is only recently starting to play for their country. That messaging from a Brighton perspective is you can't go. Um, you know, maybe there's some perspective there in terms of it's just for now, you are going to play for your country for years to come. But, you know, I think how they handle those players and especially how they handle those players who step out of line, um, like you say, it could benefit some teams, but also could could hamper some. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, they're the ones that are paying the wages and FIFA are upset about it. But, you know, ultimately, those are the rules that have been put in place and we'll, we'll see what happens. When you first said something happened this week that could potentially impact all of the teams, I thought you were talking about Ronaldo. You duped well, me a little that bit. Was, that was going to be my next one. Like, I mean, that is going to be something I did want to bring up too. Um, I mean, we're obviously not a Premier League-centric podcast. We're a Brighton one, but we are going to have to run up against one of the greatest players to ever grace the game now twice in a season for the foreseeable. Um, £20 million per Fabrizio Romano the great man himself um good deal or not two-year deal 36 years old i think i'm of the opinion that he could probably do an ibrahimovic and go to 40 and still be a class act um it feels like an absolute steal for me knowing what man united needed to be competitive was a striker a goal scorer because cavani is not that and greenwood's very young and rashford is injury prone at Rashford so it seems like a superb signing especially then to take him away from Man City in the process I thought that was out of out of nowhere too yeah I, I, it's really easy to look stupid by saying this is either a very good or very bad signing because <laughs> I, I don't know I mean all you can say at the moment is Ronaldo is as proved himself to be a uh, ridiculously top tier goal scorer wherever he's been. Um, Is he still at the point where he can do that in the toughest league that there is? I think he still can, but, you know, he's not the player that I think people want to remember, even from his Real Madrid days. Like he is now, he'll sit up front and we've seen this for Portugal. He'll sit up front. He doesn't do a lot of pressing. He doesn't track back a lot. But he will score and he'll shank a bunch of free kicks into the stands. 
um, which Bruno Fernandes would be furious about. And Bruno Fernandes' <laughs> fantasy Premier League owners would be furious about because he'll take all the penalties <laughs> um, away from him. So I, as a goal as a goal scorer and as and almost as a sort of um, something for the fans at Man U, it's interesting. I think for the league, I'm jealous of the Brighton fans that will get to see him play, obviously, in the flesh uh, at the Amex. Um it's a bit of fun. It's not a long-term solution for them, though, is it really? Also, not truly a position of need. Not truly a position of need. Uh, they need a centre midfielder. That's what Man you need. They do. They need They need uh, a really quality box-to-box midfielder that's very comfortable holding the ball, good in tight spaces, can distribute really well, uh, and probably young as well to help them anchor. Um, I can yeah. think of one particular player like that. <laughs> Uh, let's hope that they they don't get the get the idea as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, well, if they open their checkbook and put a big enough number, but they've spent all their money on Ronaldo's wages now, so uh, yeah, that won't happen. You, you, for, you forget that they got Sancho in the same window as well. Just the, in terms of how how does that fit from a team perspective? You know, obviously having a talisman in your team like Ronaldo is perfect but now you're gonna juggle to keep Fernandez happy um to you know if he's not going to be on free kicks and pens anymore like is he going to be happy with that probably but you've got the Rashfords the Greenwoods and the Sancho now that know that at Ronaldo's level he's going to be expecting to play so um again come on to the whole Dan James talk in terms of what's happening but um in terms of you know you've brought in someone that's such a high caliber and who who will demand to play and the fans will also demand to play um what if they have a ropey couple of games what what do you do then also how do you manage someone that's nearly 37 now um especially playing multiple games in a week you know Italian football is typically quite slow as a as a progression as well so how do you react to the frantic nature of the Premier League sometimes um like you said he doesn't track back he doesn't do the high press that Liverpool and Chelsea and subsequently Everton are now doing so yeah. how, how does that fit in with the the strategy in terms of what Ollie's doing is, is he expecting just for them to take complete control and just have him sit um it will be interesting but I sometimes wonder if you're giving a bit too much credit uh, with the idea of Ole has any idea what he is doing from his day-to-day basis sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) that too. I mean, in terms of just what happened over those 24 hours, given that we've been talking about Darwin Nunes and Cucurella for about a month, for someone to go from (laughs) Italy to the UK and get all the terms agreed within 24 hours, that was impressive. Well, Rio Ferdinand gave him a call and it was done. Uh, so just the, the benefit of just bringing your mates back in some ways, isn't it? And as you, you have to imagine Bruno Fernandes probably uh, was in his ear for a fair amount of that. I mean, he, he tweeted out or Instagrammed out afterwards that little picture of basically playing with his idol. So for him, it must be you know, a dream come true in many ways, even though he plays with him in Portugal. It's also been confirmed that Fergie gave him a call, didn't he? Apparently yeah, gave yeah. a bit of a bollocking at the idea of going to City. So even at his age, I wouldn't particularly want to answer a phone call to an irate Fergie uh, (laughs) at any point in time. Uh, And knowing how close Ronaldo still is to Ferguson, I think however, however money driven these players clearly are, especially at the very top, I think at his age, he can afford to bring sentimental like sentimental value into it. And he's, uh, he's not going to find much better than, than Fergie giving him a call and screaming down the phone at him at the idea of going to City. So I think that probably helped go over the line as well. Yeah. it's, uh, it's it, And it's always, you know, obviously terribly sad to see City fans get a little bit upset 
but uh, <laughs> you know they'll get over it. I just can't wait to see uh, what these what these lads that were burning their Ronaldo shirts on Wednesday are going to be doing now. They they just scrape up the ashes and sort of like put them on the Old Trafford pitch. Now, <laughs> sort of dedication. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about our game, let's actually get onto it. Sixteen minutes in. Uh, our actual Premier League game with our first team, not our under-23s. Uh, Everton at home. We'd never lost to Everton in the Premier League at home prior to this. We'd lost every single game away, uh, but we drew two and won two at home. Um, we did have the kind of the benefit of playing them generally when they were on a down patch most week, most years, uh, and we would run into them when they were on fire at their place. Last year, I think we were like their 11th game unbeaten or something. Um when you looked at the lineups to begin with, one change for us, Jakob Moder in, Solly March out, hamstring injury. Not good sign already. Uh, that's no fullback in the 20-man squad. No recognised fullback in the 20-man squad. Uh, and we've just sent out Kabovnik on loan, uh, one of our recognised fullbacks. With a buy option as well. You might never see him again, huh? With a buy option. Um, to me, if he's injured, he's injured. And Veltman hasn't played a single match minute of Premier League football. I, I can understand like easing him back in. The big thing for me was looking at the Everton team and thinking this is definitely a level above anything we've played so far. Yeah, uh, this is not your old Everton. Although um, you might think it with Rafa Benitez playing a four four two, but um, this is you know the Everton's of the last few years have been challenged with this lack of pace in many areas and a really sort of stagnant central focus in the pitch. Um, it's not that team and we saw that, right? So that that insane level of attacking pace that they have on the wings um, with Gray, who they signed for, you know, 50 pence this season, which seems like really good value that they got out of that 1.5 million for a 25 year old English. What does 1.5 get? I mean, that's insane. Andros Townsend, I mean, let's not say too many nice things about him, but, you know, he's quick and he does a job. And then, of course, you've got Richarlison and, and, and Calvert-Lewin up front, very high-quality stuff. But the, the people that make that team tick are Allen and Ducore in the centre there that will just maraud and break up play, and they're also good with passes too. Um, there's so much to talk about with this game, but it is, this is not the Everton that we played before, and I think we saw that, and I think Benitez was smart about his tactics. Yeah, I think you took the words out of my mouth right at the end there in terms of tactically, you, you know, they have the players in order to cause any team problems in this league. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see that throughout this season. But you're, you're spot on. The, the main takeaways was really, you know, the, the pace on the wings where they completely outdone us um, with no recognised wingbacks in our team. That only was, um, you know, enhanced or or even more visible than it should be. But the the Allen and the Decore in the middle just running things. You know, we're so used to in the last couple of games, we've seen Basuma and Lalana do that. Um they controlled everything from the center. They've very high pressure, very high press, um, and with no recognized pace out and you know, either centrally or down each wing, it was always going to be difficult. Yeah, it was it was tough. Before we get too deep into the criticisms, of which there are plenty, I do want to say: Do you think it's fair to say that we we were beaten convincingly yesterday 
uh, I think that's pretty safe for everybody to acknowledge whether they want to or not, whether it's nice to acknowledge it or not. We were pretty comfortably beaten. Do you think, because I don't think we would be as convincingly beaten if we were playing, for example, Lamptey and Solly March yesterday. I think that it is a much more competitive game if we were playing two of our recognized wingbacks, fullbacks <laughs> in their places of position. I think that the game is a very different looking one. Do you think, do you agree with that? Um, so there were, there were times last season when he was fit where we dropped Lempty against teams that had put in Veltman against teams that we believed had more attacking threat on the wings because we knew we needed to, you know, consolidate a little bit more. Um, having said that, would it have been good if we had two players playing in the positions they play in? Yes, it really would have. Um, I mean, <laughs> seeing Pascal Gross and Jakob Moda as... And in Potter's system, we know the importance of those two roles. Almost in many ways, could argue that they're the most important positions on the pitch. And the same with Pep's, you know, Man City teams as well. Those those right and left wing backs are incredibly important to how they overlap and how they get up the pitch. Um, we just didn't have that. And what what happened was because of and someone asked us this, and we sort of. We gave him shit last week in the chat about how is <laughs> gross too slow and we threw out all this data and things like that. Well, gross isn't too slow until he's facing someone with a lot of pace and when we're pinned down tactically. But what happened was because of the way Benitez laid out the team, you'll notice that everything that we tried to do down the right side and everything that worked in the first half against Watford last game, where we had Webster move out, pass it to Basuma or pass it out to Gross. We had these nice overlaps. Everyone pushed super high up on the right side and everything went through that. Because of the way Richarlison could push onto Webster because they were playing the two up front, essentially, the pace of Gray pushing in and then the threat from the midfield, we could never properly get the ball out the right-hand side. And because Gross and Moda were so scared of the pace coming back at them when we lost the ball, they couldn't push up. So the tactics just, just fell apart. Yeah, and I think that's that's you know the, the credit where it's due in terms of you know were we hampered by not playing two natural wing backs? Yes, but that doesn't negate the fact that tactically um, they also got it spot on, and you know we were beaten convincingly to, to that effect. But that's what uh, that's what pace gives you on those wings, and it's it's a, a cracking observation in terms of playing the two up front means that you compress those three centre-backs, especially when Duffy's probably not as comfortable on the ball as the other two. So in terms of that constant pressure and, and Alan and Ikore also coming across to pin Gross and pin McAllister, who got taken out at half-time to, to try and change something, um, you know, every time it even got close to the touchline, um, there was always three people there, whether it's Gray, Alan and, and Dina or whether it's the other side. Um, very difficult game. Probably, and you could see it after a good start. You know, we, we tried to play our game straight out first 10 to 15 minutes. You know, we would we were making something. Um, but once once Everton got into the game, it was um, very hard to see what we were going to change. And I think that's at half time where we did try and change something. Um, I was expecting something a little bit different, but evidently nothing did change. Yeah, it was a tough one. Um Again, when you've got a team of 20 and you've got no recognized fullback or wingback, it's it's tough. Because, I mean, even Veltman is not a fullback. He played, you know, his last two seasons for Ajax, I think he played three appearances at fullback. Every other one was centre-half. Like, that's not 
his trade at all, not even a straight up right back. And Webster the same. Um, and and like you said, Adam, like the wing back system similar to Pep, and well, the less said about Manchester City left wing backs at the minute, the better. But um, that the 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 wing back system for us is so important, and to be so kind of negligent from a recruitment perspective, it feels is just unbelievable. Um, I sometimes yeah. wonder, and I, I don't know if I said it to you all or if I was just thinking it at the time. Like uh, I wonder if you know we're what three days away now from the window closing, and we have Sonny March who's hurt, Cucurella as a rumor, uh, Lamp to use her. And that's it for recognized wingbacks. Um, I wonder if that decision yesterday was genuinely what Potter thought was his best chance, but also a message in his own way of like, this is what I'm having to use, Elias. Like, can you not see that playing two central midfielders here is not my best option? What else? Who else would he play um, there, really? I just, I just don't think we had... I, I he could have played four at the back. Well, we did in the second half, right? That's what we. That's what it we didn't get any better. Into. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so he, you know, his experiment failed in the first half, which happens. Right, it happens to every manager, um, and then tried to change to something that maybe suited the, the players that he had available to him, and it, and it worked. As in, there was about two minutes <laughs> where we looked like a really good side at the start of the second half, and and then um, Veltman decided to sort of rugby tackle uh, in the box, which didn't end up too well. You know, I think one of the big things, and if you look at some of the the stats around our attacking movement about this, so last week we had 48% of our attacks were developed down the right-hand side of the pitch. We talked about this last time. Everything was about the right-hand side. This week was 34% right side, and our left side was our dominant position for attacking. And that was because in the second half when Veltman came on, People are absolutely slamming Veltman rightfully for his performance. But he was our most sprightly player outside of Aviv Basuma. He actually had some energy and he was pushing on, probably motivated, motivated by the fact that he gave away a penalty. But if you then look at actually sort of the pressures and the defensive stuff, Seamus Coleman didn't really do anything. So basically what it told us was we tried to make a bunch of stuff happen on the right-hand side. It didn't work. We then tried to move down the left-hand side. And we basically just got as far as Andros Townsend and things fell apart. We just started passing backwards, which we saw over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. It's similar, similar to Burnley as well, where you, you have that first half and it's not really working. You try and change something. Um, you know, like you said, there was there was right at the start of that second half, it was like, okay, we're playing with probably more impetus and, and trying to influence the game a little bit more. Then all of a sudden you have a clumsy challenge and you're 2-0 down. Um, you know, that is where it got caught. You know, if that doesn't happen and it still stays at 1-0, 70, 80 minutes in, you know, we can continue to press and we continue to do it. Because at around 70 or 80 minutes, considering how hard they were pressuring and, and high pressing us, it did get to the 80 minute mark where they were 2-0 up so they could sit back. But you would have hoped that they would run out of steam towards the end of the game and try and nick something from that point. Um, but one clumsy challenge, they're 2-0 up, it makes it fairly comfortable for them. And ultimately, we, we didn't cause them too many problems. And I feel like that's part of the problem, right? Like that's, you look at the stats, like the overarching ones, and it feels like just Groundhog Day from last year and the year before that. 65% possession, 87% pass accuracy. Like they only had 78%. We dominated the ball. We were good at recycling the ball for the most part, but the key piece, 
We had three shots on target out of 14 attempts. We had we actually lost the XG war, which seems to be the the new change. The new change in the Potter system is is either losing the XG and winning the game, or just losing the XG. Um, and we we did a whole lot of pretty passing, even in the final third, and just nothing uh, to to come from it. In terms of you know the the players that are on the pitch. Who is there out there that you think stuck out like a sore thumb? It's like you would like to see them dropped next game, if anybody. Other than the fullbacks who aren't fullbacks, of course. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, Basuma was obviously terrible. No, I mean, like, so Basuma's <laughs> far and away. I mean, he is, if we keep hold of him in the next few days, which hopefully we do, uh, incredible work. Uh, he, he is such a he's come on so much in the last even year that um, it's remarkable how good he is as a shining example, even on the same pitch as some of those other world-class Everton players. You have to say that these are internationals in their own right. Incredible. Who was bad? Um, What I think you saw with Potter's change, Alexis was absolutely anonymous, Um, gave the ball away a lot. You mentioned earlier about him sort of getting into the spring of things and getting into the field for the Premier League and the club. He, every now and then he'll score a wonder goal and he'll look amazing and he's really good at pressuring and, and harrowing down the defence. And then other times you just think, God, I, I have no idea what Alexis is actually doing. He's, he's such a Jekyll and Hyde player. Um, that was the biggest one for me. Uh, I think I, I do want to spin it around though and just say a couple of, you know, one of the good things that we saw is that outside of taking a penalty and then having a bit of handbags over it, like what did... Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin actually do in that game. Um, but on the flip side, our forwards did nothing. It was a game where basically up front, no one had any power and we lost the game on the wings and then the the, the, the midfield play in some ways from, from Alan Ducori. But I think I just want to say a good thing, like what was good? The fact that we shut down two world-class forwards for the most part in that game. And we but, and we lost on on mistakes and pace, in my opinion. So that sort of answered your question, sort of just went on a different direction, but there you go. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I think I agree. Just the, in terms of what we did see, obviously McAllister, a, a game to forget for him off at half-time to try and change things around. But yeah, um, yeah I think Morpay didn't, didn't do too much. Um, he didn't get the ball. You know, in, in terms of what he, yeah exactly so it, you know i can't remember that in too much um you know but the, but there are like there are some bits that we can take out of this in terms of good play right in basuma he looks like in a class of his own compared to the, the rest of the team yesterday and just his i think we come back to the richarlison thing in terms of keeping him quiet Basuma riled him up so damn much that it was amazing to watch. Like, I think there was one bit that the camera cuts to Basuma telling him to calm down. And yeah, just yeah. Literally doing the opposite. So, that, I think that that battle between those two was amazing to watch. Just in general, apart from the penalty, Calvert Lewin really didn't have a sniff. So, you know, we're we're talking around the three centre backs, arguably, you know putting those two out in terms of not being able to do what they do and fully influence the game. Calvert-Lewin gets a lot from set pieces, didn't really have a sniff, um, which brings me on to Sanchez as well. The first goal aside, looked assured coming out and getting the ball, um, a couple of second half saves and a bit more comfort from him. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say that's the, the Sanchez that 
you know, we know and love, like we said last week, but he did look better yesterday. And that's probably because he had more to do, to be fair. He had that one shank, didn't he? Where you're like, oh God, what did you do in there? And luckily nothing happened, but he did look better. Yeah. yeah. And I think, that, you know, we've, we've seen that a couple of times and I, he's, I don't think he's 100% there yet, but in terms of coming out for crosses, when you do have the Calvert-Lewins and you do have the Decores that are in that box, um, you know, being able to deal with those relatively comfortably uh, and also, you know, coming out to claim a lot of stuff. Um, I thought yeah. he was, he was better um, and that definitely helped, but I think that's also mitigated by the fact that he actually had to do a lot of stuff yesterday. Um, so arguably there was more to watch from him. Um, I think, yeah, otherwise, Trossard's a very hard one to analyse in terms of a lot of the stuff that he did yesterday was good, but I feel that his target practice means that he just hits the keeper like 99% of the time. So he creates these chances and he's such a tricky forward and he does get into those spaces where he gets himself available for a shot, but they're straight at Pickford. Um, and it, it happened on a couple of times where it's like, we know that he can smack him in the bottom corner. We know that he can finish, but it's just, he needs to put it a foot either side. I know I'm, I'm just a guy on a podcast talking about a, an international forward, not hitting the target properly, but you know, there, there are certain times where he makes that chance for him and it seems like he should be doing better with those chances. Trossard is infuriating uh, because sometimes you look at him and Basuma aside, you go, Trossard might be our best player at the club. Um, and as you say, he's he called up to the Euros for Belgium, a team that were their favourites at one point or second favourites behind France or whatever. Um Sometimes his first touch is is sort of circa 2015 Lukaku first touch, where it sort of just bounces completely away from him, and you're like, oh, you've got so much quality, you can spin a defender around, and and you and you lose the ball like that. I, I agree. I mean, I think that sums up all our forwards in this game, but it sometimes just sums up our forwards in that you want them to shoot, and then sometimes you see it, and you're like, well maybe don't do that again. Let's work the ball into the box. But I think to the, just to round this bit out and hand back to Josh, the, the people calling for, oh, we need a forward. We need a forward. I, I, I do get it. I think we do, but we could have had Robert Lewandowski plan up front yesterday. I think we still lose two nil. Um, there was just no service. That was yesterday. The forwards were not our problem. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I am one of those people that are desperate for a forward, but if you don't have any kind of, victory in your one-on-ones out wide what's the point in signing a different type of player like a big man that i would like us to sign if you're not going to be able to get the service into him so the other player that stood out for me there was a couple actually that i looked at that i felt kind of sorry for and like we don't have to talk too deeply on them but pascal gross and jakob moda were the two that i felt the most sorry for they're not wingbacks and we've been seeing pascal get away with it for the last two games because he's playing against teams that aren't particularly fast and he for example he wasn't playing that why they didn't just swap Sar around at some point in time last week, I don't know, when you just saw what happened this weekend. Uh, I feel bad for him because he's he's clearly just not a right wing back. Um, and Jakob Moda seems to only ever get starts and opportunities in a wing back position, which is definitely not his forte either. When he comes on as a substitute in his favoured position, he seems to make a pretty severe impact. The one player that stood out to me outside of Alexis, because I agree with you on that, and it kind of plays into the same thing, was Adam Lallana. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. He is obviously a world-class player still and has that experience that 
no one else in the squad has with the way he can play. His technical ability is excellent, but you've you've both hit the nail on the head massively yesterday is the midfield battle was huge. Decore and Allen are both very physical, very strong, very stamina-led central midfielders. And too often yesterday, it ended up just being a 2v1 battle of Basuma against both. And however good Basuma is, he isn't both of them combined. And the amount of times we saw Lalana immediately dispossessed or just pressed and just physically out battled all the time with the with the midfielders was him and McAllister were just as culpable I felt just that McAllister was slightly further forward sometimes um he had the least touches in the game actually uh in fact just Neil Mopai had less with he played the full 90 minutes and had like no touches of the ball but Lalana came off uh with an hour played with 39 touches of the ball that's not Adam Lalana's game at all like that's that's the exact opposite of what you want from from Lalana. You want him dominating that ball in the middle of the park and spraying it around. And I don't know whether it's so much of a he was crap, but I think he was the wrong decision. Uh, I would have much preferred to have seen, uh, you know, when you're looking at the bench, I would have much preferred to have seen Jakob Moda in that central midfield role alongside Basuma and then put Alzate in that wing-back position if you want to. Not that he's particularly having a great time out there either, but somebody else, you know. And I felt that he was he was in a bit of a losing battle. Uh, I felt that Lalana was not best placed to be in that fight yesterday. Um, I love what you said because I think we have the, the beautiful gift of hindsight. Um, but I, I agree. Like, you, you know, looking back now, you probably would have had it where you had... Alzate with a little pace on the left wing back. You probably put Veltman starting and right wing back and hope he doesn't give penalties away. And then and then you shore up your your, your centre midfield pairing with with a with a bigger guy in in motor and let him do what he does, which is kind of what you know you saw some of our Cardiff and you saw for the first two minutes of the second half here where he gets the ball and he'll just maraud forward. But at the same time, he's big enough to win those aerial battles and break up play as well. With and we know what Basuma does. Um, I completely agree with you. Uh, I, I think this this raises a bigger potential challenge tactically, just in terms of how we play and how we execute versus sides that play on more traditional formations. Um, because one of the reasons you you have to imagine Lalana couldn't get the time he needed to actually, you know, receive the ball, play the right pass out, is because he was constantly under pressure. He was constantly getting pressured by those box to box midfielders and the forwards dropping a little bit further back. Um, and he just didn't have the space and time that he needs. And I also think, I know this is such a, just a basic excuse, but the team did not look on their game across the board, like fatigue wise, a lot of mistakes. Dunk cost us the first goal. It was his bad pass that then Alan received, I believe of throwing and Alan got the ball and then played that really great pass forward. Um, it, it was a bad day at the office if we can frame it like that. But there is some more interesting things to think about formation-wise when we face 4-4-1-1-4-4-2. Yeah, I think that there's obviously a, a knock-on impact to having those wing-backs and having to fill those slots of that left and right wing-back, which almost, I guess, to Potter's mind, means that Modar can't play at centre-mid because we need him at left wing-back. Um, so, like you said, such a fluid formation in terms of how we play is, you know... Uh, a lack of selection at those wing backs means that our central midfielders are now compromised in terms of who we want to play and who's best match against those teams. So it's not just getting a wing back in 
it's the double the double bubble there in terms of you get Cucurella in, which means that Moda can now be up for selection for centre mid because we know that that's good. Um, so I guess there is that knock on impact. I think you're you're spot on though. It the cliche bad day at the office. Um, yeah. We just weren't able to get that momentum to push forward. It just kept broken up in play and therefore the confidence doesn't rise. The influence on the game stops. Um, and just across the board, you know, I think that might be part of the parcel and why Basuma looked so outstanding yesterday compared to everyone else because we just weren't able to get going. And Basuma's star power really stood out in terms of what he was doing, um, which... Obviously, my man of the match is Basuma. I think in terms of what what he did and that what he was able to do with with everyone else being subpar, um, I think it's a, a very logical choice. I, I don't think there'll be too many uh, too many aggravations with that. Not from me. Uh, that was going to be mine too. That there wasn't exactly a, a huge wealth of picks that I could pick from. Uh, you know, Watford last week, where there was a lot more options, where players were excellent, but this week it was, and and it was the same at the end of last season. And I would tweet it quite a bit because I assumed he was gone. Like I just assumed he was definitely gone this summer, and I would tweet quite pretty much at the end of every game. I was like, just enjoy what you saw because he's going to be gone. Like that is one of the best box to box midfielders get that they're ever going to play for us for now. Like that have possibly ever played for us. Just enjoy what you're seeing from him. And in those games, you know, when we were kind of safe and everybody was kind of taking their foot off the accelerator a little bit, like he just looked a class above everybody else. And even yesterday, like he he looked the same against what is a superb Everton midfield that is playing under a very good manager. And he looked not a not an inch out of place. And to me, yeah, likewise, he was he was my man of the match, and it feels a bit of a low hanging fruit to give it to him. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's we've talked about this. Like we're, we're it's ad nauseum at this point with with him. He's he's man of the match until proven otherwise for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> although you could argue it's probably Alan today, but let's not do that. Um, the, the, I, 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 the 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 lack of depth in the team yesterday we've talked about a lot but i think the other thing that i was looking at as we got into the second half was god we need we need pace right we need we need someone that can come on and start to stretch the game a little bit more move us out get us out of these sort of stagnant positions and i looked at the bench um and i don't know if you did the same and the options that we had so we heard connolly maybe picked up a little tweak in the in the warm-ups so he probably wasn't able to play Wepu played in midweek and also he's probably not quite there yet. Um, we didn't have a ton of options to like really expand the game coming off of the bench. And I'm, I, I, it brings us back around to, I really, really hope that we sign a body uh, that just allows us to move some pieces around as opposed to just being sort of predictable in the changes that we make and bring on Welbeck and bring on Veltman there wasn't a ton of other options for us. No, no. I had a call out, obviously, now Taylor Richards is getting a look in with his first start, like his first Prem sort of appearance in terms of what that was there. Yeah. Um, you know, tried to do what he could in the 15 minutes that he had. But again, it's exciting again to have another one of those young guys come through and Potter deems himself good enough to, to have him on the bench and to use him. So I guess, again, I'm trying to be optimistic in terms of what we saw, but I, I do want to see more of those options in terms of if he thinks Taylor Richards can do something for the team that the others can't, then by all means, like let, let's try it. Um, but 
I think it all goes down to the point that no matter what we tried yesterday, um, the result was going to be the same. Yeah, and it's uh, if you if we want to go to that area of good news, right now we sit seventh in the the table. We've got a little break. We're going to have players come back from injury. We hopefully bring in a, a one or two players. Um, the results were kind yesterday for the teams in and around us. A lot of draws, um, so there wasn't crazy things that occurred. Like, and we also, we made two mistake, two big mistakes yesterday that cost us the game. Um, Everton are a good team. They're probably going to finish top seven, top eight this year. Uh, let's let's focus on the fact that we we collected points where we should have in the first couple of games, and we're going to continue to do that. And hopefully, that continues when we uh, when we face, I think, Brentford when we come back from the break. Yeah, and. To, to add to that kind of optimistic take as well, I have a I have a spreadsheet that I have on my work laptop, and what it does it, as I track season on season results because I'm like a loser. And what I have is I delete the season prior's results, so like the 2018 19 or whatever it was is gone, and I've just got last season's results all in a line of so like where we got our points, and I put in our new results in like a head to head basis. Because a lot of people are like, oh, at this stage of the season, we're on 12 points. And it's like, yeah, but we've played four different teams. So it's much more logical to be like, well, how did we do against Burnley away last season? How did we do against Watford the season before? And in terms of the relegated teams, I kind of just have whoever came third bottom translates as top of the championship, second, second bottom playoff winner. And... We are obviously on six points. Um, we took four points from the same games last season. If you want to see something real good, uh, we've got Brentford, Leicester, Crystal Palace, Arsenal, Norwich, and then Man City. It would take us until game week nine against Manchester City for us to exceed that six-point total on head-to-head games next year. So any points we get between now Brentford, Leicester, Palace, Arsenal, Norwich, plenty that we should be looking at getting. They're just extras that are on top of that. Because, of course, we then went on to beat Man City, which would then put us on to seven in head-to-heads. That's a lot. Like, when you think of, you know, safety first, like, we're already at a point where we have just two games, just two wins early on in the season, opens that little bit of breathing room where you can go in there and start you know, building upon this and every point we get from now to Manchester City is just extra. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I think there's, there's, we're, we're a team, I think with, with, with Basuma staying, let's, let's fingers crossed that's, that, that continues to be the case. And we bring in, let's say we get Cucurella because I think we've signed him five times at this point, uh, seemingly <laughs> according to Twitter uh, in the last week. Um, I don't, I, I personally, maybe I'm, I, I'm touching wood here. I don't, I don't really think it's a relegation discussion at that point with the quality that we have. There are three worse teams in this league than Brian and Hove Albion. But then it's like, okay, so how do we then take ourselves to that slightly next phase? How do we get closer to that top half of the table? That feels like the discussion uh, for us to potentially have when we when we come back from this international break. And it'd be nice to see us continue to pick up points from sides where we could or should get points and anything from elsewhere, anything when we face the top eight, it's a bonus if we get something. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, it was, it was a very natural reaction yesterday to just sort of, you know, take a whole, cause we were so 
convincingly beaten it's sort of like oh okay here we go it's very easy to be pessimistic but you know we're talking about a really good start to the season we're looking at hopefully keeping the talisman and bringing in another body hopefully it seems to have taken a year and a half but in terms of getting those across the line um you know there's there's no i don't think we need to overreact in terms of we got beaten by a very good everton side that are going to be in the top half whether you like it or not so um in terms of what we need to do, uh, I think, obviously, we've got a break now, reset, recharge, Brentford away, um, and then we start, you know, looking again at those games that we should be getting something from. Um, I think it's a little bit too early to, to start wetting the bed, I think. Yeah, agreed. I think, you know, Norwich are not a good team. Just objectively, they're not a good team. Uh, Arsenal... I don't care how many people think it's disrespectful. They are they are a team that we should be looking at getting points from this season. They are not a good team. Um, Brentford had a great start to the season. Will the international break come along and ruin their momentum a little bit, or will they be a good game? I suspect that it, probably the latter. I think it will be a pretty high-energy game from them. Um, but obviously, there's absolutely no doubt we can go there and, and take a result off of them. We saw, and I don't know if you saw, but I, I definitely saw in the playoffs how how easily Brentford are nullified by possession-based teams, which we are. So, you know, they really, they really were quite lucky to get through those playoffs in some respects because they were playing teams that were happy to just keep the ball, and they really struggled with that. And at Premier League level... You know, they played Arsenal, which definitely aren't a possession-based team. They're just Arsenal. They don't know what on earth they're doing. Um, and they played... Uh, did they play Leeds last weekend? Yeah, yeah. I think and, it's a, a way draw. Yeah, so, you know, you're looking at that. And then you're playing Aston Villa yesterday, who, again, are not that possession-based football-playing side. They they prefer to hit you on the counter-attack. And especially now, with your Leon Baileys and your Buendias and your rapid, you know counter-attacking style footballers this is going to be this is going to be a different kind of prospect for Brentford that they've seen all season um so it's going to be really interesting to see how they adapt to that Palace uh, love Arsenal Palace Villa for uh, for Brentford so far a kind start isn't it really you didn't think it would be with Arsenal because but deep down you knew it would be because they're not very good uh Rich in the chat does still think Bruce is too slow uh too many backward <laughs> passes um, he didn't get faster in the last week, so he's right there. Yeah. So, yeah. He's, <laughs> no, we we discussed that, right? He, in this game, he was he he. Yes, his his pace was um was an was an issue. But the whole we talked about how the fact that we just our whole system was nullified. So yes, he looked bad. Um, and yes, we had to pass backwards because we had no overlap on the wings. So uh, and the centre was too bogged down. So he's right. Yep. I think it'd be interesting next week uh, or the week after rather or the week after that, actually, because it's the international break, for God's sake. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how we line up against Leicester, given they have similar midfielders to Everton. And what we notice as fans with McAllister and Lalana and, you know, that kind of stuff, it will be very interesting to see what team Potter puts out there against a team that is very similar to Everton, if not just of a better quality. You know, they have some very good wide wide play harvey barnes will eat pascal gross for breakfast if he's put out there in a one-on-one situation <laughs> that's scary well we should have uh, lengthy by then no or that's the hope right because i would I, it never gets old watching jamie vardy lose the sprint to lamptey and just realize that he's 
out of its depth for the first time in a long time. So it'll be September nineteenth. So you would hope Lamptey's capable at that point. But again, you know, Leicester top six, top seventeen. Oh, let's let's go into it with expectations of hoping for the for the best, but also getting a point out of that game would be amazing. And I mean, we take three points from Brentford before that, right? And you're kind of just not even that bothered. Like, it was like nine points from five games again, and the two losses were Leicester and Everton. Well, I, yeah. I think I can deal with that. And with the outside of the the, the uh, Carabao game in between Leicester, you got Palace after that. You want points from Brentford, you want points from Palace. Yep. Transfer window. I think we've said all we can say uh, about the Everton game. Um, Three days left, lots of rumours still floating about. Some massive signings have gone through, you know, your Messi's, your Ronaldo's. Um, and things are trickling down in that respect. Uh, saw a bunch of rumours this morning that Brighton inquired on Friday as soon as the Ronaldo thing went through about Dan James. He started today against Wolves and was hauled off uh, pretty early in the second half and the United fans are giving him grief online. Um, Darwin Nunez started today. He yeah. is playing currently for Benfica. That feels dead in the water. Um, Cucurella was not in the squad, but was fit for Getafe. He said they said he had a Amateur. muscular injury, oh, muscular. yeah, 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 uh, and would not expand any further. So that feels like one of those same reasons where like they have a knock, so they can't go on international break. Um, what are we expecting here? It's not It's not like Brighton to do three or four deals on the last day, but it's not like Brighton to make £60 million in profit either on a transfer <laughs> window. Um, what are we expecting, Craig? What are, you, what are you hoping to see here? Uh, I mean, like you said, the Nunes one seems dead in the water. And I think from a, a striker perspective, I don't think we're going to see anything. Personally, the wing-backs, as we've talked about at length, in terms of having another option there um, and bringing in Cucurella, who has been long rumoured, I think at the minimum that's what we should be looking for and what I want. Um, I think it's more important than the striker. Um, in all honesty, I think our issues, like we said, lie in the midfield and and being able to, to co- commit and be able to do stuff from there. So the Cucurella is probably my most important one. Um We've seen a lot of people go out defensively, which hints at the fact that there has to be something coming in. Um, you've got Jean-Paul Van Heck just went out to Blackburn. It's another centre-back that's now gone with Burns still on the still on the injury table and, you know, now Kobovnik gone to Olympiakos. Um, we're starting to get thinner and thinner at that defensive abilities. Considering we play five at the back, it's looking very thin. So... That, that would be my minimum expectation that we should see some defensive bodies come in. Um, I think we're a little bit spread too thin. Seen some rumours linking us to, and I don't know how you say that first one, Czech, like, I'm going to go with Czech, 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 we'll be fine. Nias, uh, do you think this would be a good move? Um, I will go first in saying I know nothing about him. Uh, from the brief search I did yesterday after seeing his name, he seems like a holding midfielder in the same mold as Basuma was sold to us as for Lille. Uh, I don't, I've never watched him play. Um, so unfortunately, Nick, I, I cannot give you any info on that. Um, if we are not selling Basuma, which obviously is the default, I hope, 
Uh, I don't see any reason to invest in another midfielder at all. It seems to be the least optimistic place to head to uh, is signing a central midfielder. Uh, but Craig, Adam, if you have anything else on him, please do jump in. I haven't got a clue. <laughs> um, I have not done a ton of research into Senegalese players playing for Lille, I'll be honest. Um, but uh, but as you say, like, I mean, we talked last week, but to just counter what you said a little bit in the sense that, yes, we've got a ton of central midfielders, but outside of Basuma, in terms of like really solidified, more defensive-minded box-to-box midfielders, that's not Gross, that's Lot Lalana, that's not really Jakob Moda. Uh, we think Casado may go out on loan. That's been the big set of rumours. So, I mean, it wouldn't hurt in my mind to have a nice young potential thinking to the future Basuma probably leaves next year um, at best then let's have someone that we can bring in on the cheap and, and then you know repeat the process so I wouldn't personally hate that it doesn't solve our immediate issues though is is the, is the main thing I agree with Craig we need let's let's bring in a winger but we have to get the Cucurella deal in I mean at this point if you don't get it in that's going to be just a God, be sad at that point, wouldn't it? We'd feel disheartened, I think, as a fan base because there's been so much talk about it. I'd like to see Dan James in. Um, obviously, we've got the Potter links. We know that we tried really hard to get Dan James in before we moved to Man United. They kind of came in at the last minute and and, and grabbed him. Um, I know we don't play out and out for wingers up, up the pitch, but think of, if we had the option of Cucurella and Dan James um, and then we had Solly and Lamptey behind them, that's a different team. That's a different team pace-wise. It's exciting. And then you actually get to see, well, maybe, well, what do we get out of Mope? What do we get out of Welbeck? Your striker discussion suddenly maybe is a little different. If they screw it up then, then you need a striker. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't agree more. You get you get Dan James out there. And although I agree, like, we don't play without an outwing as Potter has got unbelievable results out of Dan James before. So clearly he thinks he could do so again, I'm sure, knowing Graham to be who he is, like he's absolutely convinced he could probably keep him at that that level. And then, like you say, we've got a full season of watching Dan James, Cucurella, Solly March, Tarot Lamptey, Mwepu, if he turns out to be as good as he could be. Uh, you know, all these players feeding the ball in Trossard, McAllister feeding the ball in from just about every angle you could want. And that's not even including Pascal Gross. If you're still not scoring goals or at work, or even worse, you're starting to see, you know, Mope with like uh, uh, an XG of like 17 and scoring seven <laughs> or like Trossard with like an XG of 20 and scoring six. And you're like realizing they're actually getting worse at finishing chances because they're on their plate. I think then, yeah, I think you've got to, I would be happy if we reinforced with two or three signings that are going to help the strikers if that means we don't get a striker just does the the window close on tuesday yes is that yeah. right yeah okay i think that there's something in the winger talk isn't there when you know we've, we've been linked to a couple throughout this time but nothing's really come of it in terms of what they want but i think yeah i minimum we we need defensive bodies in there um and like you said the, the prospect of having uh dan james and cucarella expand our options not not just like for like replacements, but also from the way that Potter's going to set certain teams up to have a different option and to be able to do something different with certain different players and playing to their strengths as well. Um, then we move into that conversation of 
it has to be the striker then because this is working and we can make it work. Um, it'll be interesting. What well, we, We've got a, a couple more days. I'm sure it's going to be the typical Brighton way in terms of either just disappointing or actually, you know, pretty damn good. Um, if we see Cucurella come in and nothing else, I'd consider it a, a good window. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say great, but you've made a lot of profit there and you've brought in a very good and a very young wing back that backs up our ability to play as a five. Um, yeah. Then you're, you're talking about the injuries coming back in terms of Solly and Lamptey. You know, let's hope that Solly's injury isn't too bad. Let's hope that Lamptey continues full training. Um, then all of a sudden you have three different options and all of a sudden you've got Burn back and you've got Veltman that's able to play at centre-back. So if you do need to take you know, Duffy out, or if you do need to play more of a possession base and you want to put development in. Just again, I think the, the, the additional option of that wing back opens up the center backs, opens up the midfielders and opens up all of these other options that unlocks the rest of the team. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more because that, that's exactly the part when, because I think we all collectively worried when we see all these players going out on loan, we're like, well, hold on. We don't, what happens if Dunk gets injured? Um, but yeah, this is if you have replacements that are actually positional players that can play. Because you, if we got Cucurella and James, you could completely imagine Potter like you know playing. Cucurella plays left back for some games. Dan James, you'd throw in at right wing back. Like you could see that happen. But as you say, then that means famous left back Dan Byrne can then actually play in centre defence. Veltman can play in centre defence. Like we have that cover there. Um, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I, I agree, though. We're not gonna. It's not. I can't imagine like a name that has not been associated with the club just randomly comes in in the next two days. But it's a lot to that Dan James stuff because we know he's potentially surplus to requirements now over at Man U, and we have relationships there. We have history, and the Cucurella thing has been talked about more than pretty much any other transfer. Um, yeah, those two are my hope. The biggest winners we talked about keep Pesuma. That's the win for the transfer window. And let's talk about that elephant in the room, right? What if we don't? What does that window look like if last day, last day of the transfer window, uh, someone, Man United, right, with Fred being how wank he is. Man United come in, £70 million bid. They know they're overpaying because they could probably get in for 60 or whatever. They come in, £70 million quid. This is going to be the difference that wins us the title this year. This is their belief. Put him in there in that central midfield role. And we accept it. What's the uh, say? It's part of the Dan James deal. What's the what's the verdict then? We're now short Bazuma. We sign Cuc- we sign Cucurella. We sign uh, we sign Dan James on a perm, and we sell Bazuma. How does how does that window look then? Because it's it's still a very real possibility. Like when you see how good he is, like these scouts are not blind what's what's the feeling then i know that's not a nice thing to have to answer but it's it's a reality we're probably gonna have to face um if if those other two players were to come in i'll entertain that this sort of nightmare fantasy uh (laughs) i I don't think it would be because you know he's gonna leave it's when not if um this is where we are as a club like we we will sell a premium player to make a massive return on investment for him. We'll reinvest those funds to repeat the process with two, three, four of them. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is then you start to think about, um, you then are really back in worrying about a relegation battle and trying to get out of that. So that's how it changes your system. 
all you're then hoping for if you're if you're Barber, Ashworth, um, Bloom, we survive this year and then we have a fuckload of money to spend. That's what you do. Um, is that comfortable? Maybe not, but when's the last time Brighton had over a hundred million pounds in, in the bank to spend? I mean, it's, the fact that Ben White was more was more than our entire outgoing transfers in our entire history since 1901 put together. Yeah. <laughs> so. Precisely. So, it, it, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, this, it's a far cry from what we're used to, isn't it? In, in terms of, you know, you're now talking, a, you know, a minimum of 45, 50 for Basuma, you know, it you're making a hundred million off two players from, from a Brighton perspective. And I think, you know, he has, he has to stay. I don't know what the options are in terms of if he leaves in the next couple of days, just what that looks like. You've got Mwepi, you've got Caicedo, obviously Lalana needs to stay in the middle. Um, But yeah, you're spot on. Then it's, then it's more of a case of, okay, let's, let's look at those three worst teams in the league then, because Basuma is that difference between you know, a, a world-class central defensive midfielder that's so integral to the way that we play. Um, taking that strong link out and taking what is almost part of the spine of that team and now at this point, um, I would be very worried. Um, I think, yeah, Adam's spot on that the most important bit of business that we can do is keep Basuma. It's fun. It would be fun to think, though, the amount of money to have. Like, think about sitting back at, at the with Dean. Um <laughs> <laughs> sort of a scaffolding setup that moved if you sort of like put a foot down and then think a few years later potentially having 100 x million in the bank to spend like that's in and of itself a hell of an achievement so yeah and i guess it's that uh the fight we're finally starting to see the fruits of gus poyet and tony bloom's vision 10 years ago because i remember very distinctly when they were talking about that when we were bringing in like like Henrik Bjordal and like random players like Roland Bergkamp and like they were very both Bloom and Gus were very clear that this was a project and they were intending to become a development like their development squad was supposed to be the the envy of of England and we're starting to see these young players being brought through that are now either we're buying snapping them up when when no one else thinks about him, Ben White, Tarrant Lamptey, this Jeremy Sarmiento fellow that we've just signed, you know, we, we don't know what will happen with him and others. And we're starting to see those players start to come good. And like you said, that's Southampton have made their entire 15, last 15 years off of it, you know, barring one or two absolute meltdowns. And I think that I trust Barber and I trust Bloom and I trust just the, the, the structure in the in the in the team in general to not have that same meltdown that Southampton had in the early 2010s where they just sank um, because they, they might be doing it again now, sort of <laughs> in a way. Um, but uh, the the other thing the other thing that we haven't talked about at all, and and maybe you did a little bit before, Josh, but is is keeping for me keeping Potter this this off season for for I mean he makes this whole thing work. Um, the fact that he was touted with some of those bigger jobs and I was very scared he was going to go to Spurs. Um, that's the other piece. 
So this every every fan of every team in the league right now is looking at their club, bar Chelsea, I think, and maybe now Man United. And there's been a question mark in the first three games. Poor performance, a lack of this, a player missing or whatnot. We're in a, we're in a good spot. We've got some money in the bank. We've got some fresh faces we can potentially bring in. Um, and we still have right now a world-class player in the team. Yeah, but genuinely nothing nothing else to add. I think that's that's a really good point as well, is that we overlooked the fact that there were allegedly multiple clubs looking at Potter in terms of bringing him in and, and being able to have what is a quality coach. Um, so, you know, it, to, to Josh's point as well, in, in terms of just trusting the system and trusting the people that are running the club and and where we are and where we came from as well there's always that perspective in our minds because of how far we've come so quickly and and how much these individuals have done for our club um it's it's always nice just to again think from a perspective and say look i can't even imagine selling an academy product for 50 million pounds and now we're talking about you know we're not going to let our center midfielder go for less than 50 million pounds like it's such a far cry from even seven eight years ago um and yeah you know you're talking about you know the craig mckell smiths and like spending two and a half million uh, still like, that what? name still haunts me <laughs> <laughs> i mean even just a few years ago where tony bloom doubled down on dale stevens running out his contract when we could have got four or five million pounds for him and that being a lot of money back then. And Bloom was like, no, like he's going to be a reason we get promoted. I'm going to keep him and take the loss if necessary. And that was, that was a big loss five years ago. Like that's wild. I don't like getting hung up on it as well, because I think there's no, there's no point thinking about things that, that, that are gone now, but how do you think Ben White feels right now? He's pretty much had the nightmare start as he, <laughs> he plays against Brentford with uh, not not his first eleven backline. He then immediately catches COVID, misses the England call up because of that. Not that we knew whether he'd get in anyway, and then has to watch his now team just get battered. And knowing he's probably going to be coming back in to play Norwich which if they weren't to get three points from that will lead to one of the biggest shit shows that you've seen in the Arsenal fan base. This guy's been wonderful. Possibly ever. Yeah. I, I won't be missing those uh, AFTV episodes <laughs> in the next, if this, if this continues, like I'll, I'll watch it with popcorn. It, I it just, like, like you said, like the, the expectation there provided like the team that they've got at the moment, like it, it's pretty mad to think about uh, in terms of, you know, and we're talking about all these transfers and all these Ronaldos and Messi's moving and stuff like that. When you're Arsenal and you've spent £135 million this transfer window and you've started with scored none, conceded nine, it, I, I understand the meltdown, you know, from, from that perspective. I just, I don't see a way out for them either. Um, I know we're going down this Arsenal tangent, but it, in terms of such a bad start is that can they actually pick themselves back up? Of, of course, we'll be very complimentary of Arsenal when they loan us Reese Nelson uh, and he performs incredibly <laughs> well. But yeah, for now we can laugh at them. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we will become Leeds uh, and get really angry when they won't sell us to him for peanuts <laughs> the year after. Yeah, um, but I mean we are, you know, we're getting through the month of September, and I'm not sure what Arsenal's fixtures look like outside of the Norwich one. Um, ours are rather kind before we end up playing them a bar in the Leicester game. 
And just because it is funny, because they are in such a meltdown. You know, this Arsenal team, it's not totally inconceivable if they weren't to pick up points against Norwich, which is almost unthinkable given they're at home and Norwich are that bad. But if they don't, they've got Burnley away after that and then Spurs. So they could be coming to the Amex on the back of a beating at home to their biggest rivals in Spurs with zero to four points in the bank with eight games in. It could be just if Neil Mopai scores a hat trick there, like Arsenal fan TV might shut down. Like it may just, just end up like they may like just be incapable of doing anything. You know what my biggest concern is with, with where they're at and when we face them? They might have the new manager bounce because a caretaker's coming. <laughs> like, that's my main concern. Yeah. Uh, because I don't know how long you trust the process for. I mean, Abamian came out yesterday and basically said the team don't have any, uh, what does he say, like character or drive or like pretty courage. Da- courage thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, pretty damning to say that. From, uh, from your captain as well. Yeah. Cowardly Arsenal. Here we are. That's that's all I've got. Um, I think we've covered just about everything. We are we will be recording in the international break. Uh, we will have uh, stateside seagulls on as a guest, uh, and we will be unpacking whatever these next three days bring at us. Um, so I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about. Not as much as usual, obviously, because it's not a game. But I'm sure that regardless, we're going to have plenty. Even if we don't sign anyone between then and now, we will have that. That will be a discussion in and of itself. So we'll talk 45 minutes about signing Cucurella in January. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, anything else from either of you two before we wrap up? No, no, it'll be good. Um, obviously, next week with stateside seagulls on as well, that'll that'll be class. So, looking forward to it already. All good for me. I'm I'm positive about what happens after the international break. We've got six points from our first three games. We're looking all right. We we lost a game to a very very experienced international team. We're we're fine. Agreed. Reasons to be cheerful, absolutely, uh, for now. Three days from now, I might not feel as cheerful. But uh, (laughs) we will see you all next week. Uh, Stay safe and, yeah, have a good one. Awesome. Thank you.